Hey, everybody, welcome to Social Beauty Makers, the podcast, where every week we bring you two fast-paced 15-minute episodes, one with beauty mastermind guests and the other, which is this one, this week, my solo chat on trends in tech and media for the professional beauty industry. Um, if you like the podcast, I hope you will leave a rating and or review. Um, and best of all, hit the subscribe button. And if you'd like to get early access to new podcasts, sign up for my free weekly e-newsletter over at socialbeautymakers.com. You'll find podcasts, the entire library, um, and you'll find some other content too. So I hope you will check it out. I'm Gordon Miller. Thanks for tuning in. Let's get started. So I'm kind of I was in the middle of a series talking about you know categories of the industry and where they're headed, and I'm going to continue that. But I I was inspired to have a bit of a rant today, and um, I haven't really made any notes. Um, a few little things here, but but not much. And I'm just just going to talk. Um, I was reading something on Instagram coming from some coaches talking about if you're busy, you know that um, that's a bad thing, and. Um, there's more to it. You know, we all have context of the things that we're saying, but there's a lot of folks, you know, um, talking about, you know, the negative side of, of being busy. I think we should all aspire to be busy, <laughs> you know, uh, managing, of course, boundaries and, and, you know, managing our lives, managing our careers so that we can have long and happy ones. Um, you know, that's, that's a bigger part of, of getting through life, but I don't know. I don't know anybody who's become successful that busy wasn't a part of the equation. Again, it's just how you manage yourself to effectively deal with and, and hopefully enjoy, <laughs> enjoy being quote unquote busy. And, and busy means different things to different people. I think that is so important to say. There's also this conversation, which I think is really powerful for a lot of people. And it's, it's been around forever. It's not a, a new idea by any stretch. I know lots of people who have, you know, approached their careers this way. And that's, you know, working less in terms of the number of days or, or the number of hours. Again, you know, life's change and people need to adjust themselves. Um, however, many of the people, probably most of the people who, who have done this successfully um, that I know um, have become extremely busy on the few days that they're working. So they, they go from five to three, for example, they'll slide all those five-day clients into three and you know fill their time up, which tends to make them quote unquote busy. So um, anyway, that, that's kind of what got me started, but I've been wanting to do a rant for, for quite a while on um, what I consider to be fake beauty news. And this is kind of attached to that category. And there was a, a podcast done a while ago by a coaching group. They were talking about retail. In, in fact, the podcast... Um, was called fuck retail. Um, well, F and a couple of little signs and, <laughs> and then K retail. Um, so I, I, I'm assuming that's what it stood for. Um, and I'm going to go through some of the things that got said, cause I'm like, wow, you know, um, I've listened to these folks for quite some time and I've always been impressed over time. And I was like, I've been following them for years, actually going, you know, smart people, um, doing interesting things. And I think, you know, um, and good marketers, some very good marketers. And I, I actually, let me start there because I think one of the things about marketing today is, there's so much um, advantage that can come from negative marketing. You know, it's like, don't feel good about yourself. Um, we'll make you feel better. You know, that kind of marketing um, or, um, or playing into insecurities, um, offering solutions for things that maybe aren't quite truly solutions, but they kind of tap into people's feelings. Um, if you don't like doing something and someone says, oh, you don't, nobody needs to do that. Well, you're going to be drawn to that person, whether what they're saying is realistic or not for you or for others, you know, becomes the, the big question mark. So 
Um, back to this, you know, conversation on retail. I'm just going to pick some things, you know, that I jotted down that were said in in this conversation, and uh, kind of respond to them. But first, I have to say, retail, like extensions, like hair color, like doing nails in a salon, makeup, it's all optional, right? Everything's optional. You get to choose. That's one of the great things about being in business for yourself or working in an entrepreneurial business, hopefully a team environment um, where decisions get made somewhat together, or again, you're totally independent, but we get to make all kinds of decisions. And, and um, I don't know what the bad is in, in any of the categories. The retail has proven to be extremely valuable um, and viable for a large percentage of the industry. Now, we've always known that about 20% of salons economically do the majority of, of, of retail in the industry. And th- these are the salons that are passionate about it. They approach it as its own form of business within the larger business. And, and many of them are really, really successful. Studies have been done on you know the economics of the industry, about 80% of all retail dollars that comes in the industry. Last study I saw was that was over $3 billion in a single year going through the salon itself. That you know, 80% of all that, that 3 billion plus is happening in 20% of salons. So we've got lots of proof point that it can work if you do the things that you need to do to be successful in retail. Kind of like haircutting, kind of like hair color, you know, whether you're talking about the technical aspect of it or certain things you need to do. Uh, clean partings will get you, you know, through a haircut more effectively than not. Um, and same with retail, doing certain things will get you through it more effectively than not. And you know, again, there's all these choices uh, that get made. But but in terms of the arguments around retail, so one of them was, you know, get rid of your retail and and just put a station in. Could be a great idea if you have um, people who can't get into your salon. You've got you know demand that exceeds your supply of opportunity to provide services. That would be a good reason to perhaps put a station in. Perhaps you know you can rent a chair. I, I live right around the corner from quite a few salons, actually. And one put up a sign uh, maybe three months ago. They put in two chairs. Um, they are a four-chair salon. They put in two more chairs. The signs have been there for, I don't know, two, three months. And nobody's taken them up on it. So putting in a chair doesn't necessarily mean you know more business is coming. Statement was made for those of you who don't know it. Retail doesn't make you any money. Um, it just inflates your cash flow. All right, so I'm a numbers guy. <laughs> my, I'm not a hairdresser, as as my audience knows. I'm not a salon owner. Um, my my education was in finance. Um, again, a, a numbers guy. Um, cash flow is very, very, very different than profitability. So, and there's retail. You know, can inflate your cash flow. Um, so can anything else that comes into the building, depending on how it comes in and the timing of what's happening. And so there's a, a deeper understanding. But retail, in and of itself, just doesn't inflate cash flow, and certainly. As I just mentioned, you know, there's lots of salons that made a lot of money retailing and of all sizes. I, I know independents are killing it in retail, paying their rent with retail. And so, again, you know, this, this idea, just uh, it's just fake news. Math is, a, is an important part of all this. It's the hardest thing for creative people to understand um, and for all of us to understand. Math is just kind of wonky, but um, math is the foundation of understanding all this stuff. There's a lot of conversation about markup that salon markup is basically 100% around the industry. There's some variations on that, but you know, some salons buy direct from a manufacturer, they could have a, a higher markup. But typically, salons buy from a distributor or from a store and they mark it up 100%. They double, they double what they spent, buy it for 10, sell it for 20. That's kind of the standard. And there was a conversation about, you know, if you do that, you're not making any money, you're just making your money back. Okay, mathematically, I'm just to walk through it really quick. So you spend $10. 
$10 is gone from your pocketbook, <laughs> from whatever, wherever you've got your, your money. It's gone. Tomorrow you sell it for 20. Now you have your 10 back and you have another 10. Now, some salons will turn around and, and take 10 of that 20, the original 10, uh, and buy more product. And so there, there's a whole conversation about inventory and how it turns. And again, like the science of haircutting, the science of retail um, you know, has its particulars. But the idea that marking things up 100% doesn't make money is just completely you know, counterintuitive to the business models and, 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 and to the math, just simple and basic math. And, and this idea that the rest of the world is marking things up three, four or 500%. You know, it just isn't the case typically. The mattress industry, they mark things up like crazy. There's, there's some good documentaries on that. But, you know, like the grocery stores, most retailers, small and, and large, 100% is a good markup. Typical markup from some research I did was about 30%. And I read an article just this morning about Costco. Now Costco is massive. And, and you know, it's important to say when you're really large, you can work on smaller volume, or, or I'm sorry, on smaller margins because, you know, volume, you, just, you start to catch up. Again, that $3 billion that's coming through the industry, trust me, there are some salon owners and professionals who are, who are making money. Um, and, and by the way, you know, a lot of commission salons, there's, there's plenty of stylists who are not making money. Um, but in those salons, you know, if they've got a, a great salon business, they've got a great environment. You know, I know so many owners who are using retail to fund education, to, to support education, because having those retail brand connections brings education in. They use it for 401ks, they use it for healthcare benefits. You know, there's there's plenty of examples of all kinds of good that are coming because of this. And, you know, that is, that is really, really important to say. Also kind of a push, you know, towards affiliate links. I love anything online. You know, I'm an online shopper, you know, I'm a huge proponent. Anybody knows me, know I've been talking about it for years, you know, publicly on stages and podcasts, you know, I, I, I just believe in it. And, and affiliate links, those are great. So, uh, manufacturers and distributors who offer affiliate links, I think those are absolutely fantastic. The idea that you should replace in-store retail, in-salon retail with affiliate links, um, if you are up for having retail in the salon, and if you are up for learning how to do it properly and then actually doing it properly, the idea that one somehow can replace the other and, and do as well. Again, there's no data in the industry. In fact, it's really difficult to find anybody who's successful, really, truly successful um, using affiliate links. Again, it could bring in some incremental money, and I think that's fantastic. Um, I, knew, I know a couple of salons who have been killing it online, but it's rare. And, and in the larger world, online shopping has fallen dramatically since the end of the pandemic. In fact, it's really just a couple of points above where it was in 2019. So it's kind of on its trajectory of where it was, but you know, under 20%. And in, in, in our industry, all the things that I've seen, I'm talking mostly to distributors, big distributors, is that um, online retail within the professional beauty industry is, is well under 10%. So I think, you know, that's just important to say. Again, I'm, I'm for anything and everything that brings money into the salon, but I think it's important that we just have a clear understanding and, and have, our, have our facts straight. Another comment that was made, you know, people only buy when Instagram tells them to buy. Um, not true all kinds of people come to salons, you know, so you have to understand your demographic. Um, but, you know, the research on Gen Z, they are back shopping like crazy. And for Gen Z, uh, shopping is also a social, you know, um, opportunity, depending on the kind of shopping they're doing. So the people have raced back to shopping, you know, and again, I love buying online, but I also like being in the store, depending on what it is that I'm buying. So um, again, you know, different strokes for different folks, but, you know, either or, you know, that's just not a... Um, a reasonable thing to to consider and and certainly again from the marketing perspective it's not all about instagram the comment was made about retail not building up loyalty again 
there's been a lot of work that's been done over the years. I think a lot of people who are in the retail space, you know, will, will reinforce, you know, that recommending product, not selling retail per se, recommending product, think about the psychology of caring for a client and how a client feels when a recommendation is made, you know, kind of in good faith and it's not pressured, you know, but I, I, most people I talk to, it's like, they feel like their, their professional is an expert and makes them feel good. You know, so I, I think, you know, that's really important to say. There was talk about brands bullying salons and professionals. And I've been doing this 40 years. No one in my entire career, you know, has said they've been bullied by a brand um, with the rare exception of someone who works for a brand, you know, literally works for a brand or is on a contract for a brand, but not, and even there, it's been like almost, almost never, you know, have I heard this? So I was kind of surprised to hear that. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, you know, kind of, kind of strange. The buy-in orders was discussed, you know, that there's these big buy-ins. And for anybody who's new to the space, who's, who's thinking maybe about retail or thinks negatively about retail and buy-in is part of the issue, know that those rules for many brands don't exist. For those rules have changed radically over the years, opening a lot more opportunities for people to retail. And, and those who typically have those big orders are more exclusive brands, more expensive brands. And it is what it is. I mean, you know, it doesn't make anything bad. We just have to make our own decisions. And if it's a big buy-in and it's not something that makes sense to us, um, you know, do your homework, have your, you know, understanding of what works for you and then doesn't and make a decision, but, but no, no judgment um, is needed. Talking about like expense, there was a comment about, you know, what are your biggest expenses? Retail. If that's a big expense, it must be bad. Payroll was everybody's biggest expense. That doesn't make payroll bad. Doesn't mean you should fire everybody. Again, it's math. You have to do the kind of contextualize what's happening with retail when you say it's a big expense. And then the idea, if you stop buying retail, you'll be profitable. Again, complicated conversation. You're eliminating an expense. And if all you're doing is, ex is spending on retail and there's nothing coming in, well, then of course, you know, then you're going to become more profitable. But you'd also, your shelves would be overflowing if, you, if every week, every month, you just buy and buy and buy and buy and never sell. <laughs> so again, it, it gets more complicated. The idea that, you know, clients, um, that comment was made, especially Gen Z, they only bring enough money for the service. I don't even know what that means. Um, all the Gen Z people I, I see when I talk to salons about this, they're all using their credit cards. And, um, and the idea that young people don't tip or, or any of that is crazy. Um, the idea that tips are bad, that's personal. That's professional. I, I have professional friends, um, salons I know who for over 30 years haven't taken tips. You know, that's a choice. It's, it's perfectly fine. If you have been getting tips and you're doing okay with them, um, and, and you've decided you don't want to do that anymore. You feel, you know, something needs to change. You perhaps feel more professional because you're, you're not getting tips. I don't know the consumers feel that way about you, but if that's how you feel, you know, that's, that's fantastic. You know, do the math. It's, it's tricky. This gets very mathematical, but if you think of a hundred dollar service and let's say that you are a commission stylist or you're an independent, and let's just say that your profit margin or your pay is 50% or a little bit more, perhaps rental, but most studies show that they're actually pretty much the same. So $100 service, $50 is your pay. We'll push taxes off for a moment. Let's say that you have a 15%, which is, I think, on the low side today, 15% tip. That's $15. So now if you, if you take that 15 and add it to the 50 that you're getting in payroll, now you've got $65 on a $100 service. So important to understand that. If you get rid of the tips completely and then try to get yourself to that same $65, 
that's basically $130 service. You've got to mark up a service to $130 and 50% commission to get you to that 65. That's tricky math. And it's really important to understand. Again, no judgment, you know, as far as tips or no tips, but if you're going to make a transition, you know, just really make sure that you, you check that out. Lastly, the question was asked, what if they go to CVS and buy quote unquote ship product? Um, the response was, that's not our problem. What in room in their hair? It's none of our business. It's, 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 that almost breaks my heart. Um, this is an industry known for caring. Um, and I would hope that you would not only care about your client and what happens to them, but, but care about your work and what, what they use on the work you've done with the work you've done. Um, cause you want them to maintain it. You want them to be happy about it. And the idea that, Oh, if they use bad product and it screws up their hair, going to come back and you're going to fix it. Um, people misunderstand. I think a lot about that too, because very often they don't find some put together the idea that the product was the problem versus the service and the person doing the service. Um, but, but ultimately, you know, I, I just hope we remember that it is important that we care about our clients and that, um, yeah, yeah. I'm going to stop my rant. Retail matters for some, for others, it doesn't, but the math of retail, if you do it right, you absolutely can make money. It's fundamentally the case and, uh, yeah, is what it is. And so um, that's the end of this podcast. So let me say thanks to all for considering my point of view on this topic. And uh, also, if you like the podcast, I'd appreciate a like, subscribe, or share. Better yet, leave a review. Visit us over at socialbeautymakers.com to sign up for our free weekly newsletter for more content. Um, I do a curation every week on things that I'm finding out in the larger world that I think might be of interest, videos, podcasts, apps articles, you know, all that and more. So again, you can go over to uh, social media makers to sign up for that and uh, also get early access to the podcast. Once again, I'm Gordon Miller, and I am excited to bring you more good stuff next time.